0: Uh, apologies uh, for the, the voice this morning, the black man inside me is uh, wanting to burst out in song, and, and uh, I'm uh, not very well, uh, but I desire to be with you always. So here I am, sharing my bugs. You're welcome. We will clean this microphone tomorrow, uh, or before tonight. Uh, now, look, I, I, um, I'm really excited about what God's doing. I couldn't sleep last night. And uh, so apologies in advance for how this might come out. Part of that is because I'm tired and not well. Part of that is because I'm on medication and my brain's not working. Uh, But part of it is also because um, I feel like God's wanting to release something and impart something this morning. And I've got my tissues uh, because I am uh, needing them often. We're talking um, at the moment about this theme, a new wine. I spoke on it a couple of weeks ago um, out of a passage of Scripture. We will look at very briefly again this morning just as a recap. But I want to continue it. I want to keep pressing into it because this theme of new wine is something that God is most definitely speaking to us about as a family. And we want to make sure we catch what he's got to release to us and not move ahead uh, without getting the fullness of the revelation. Um, the message a couple of weeks ago uh, was called, um, The New Wine of Jesus Brings Joy. And I encourage you, if you didn't grab it, uh, a chance to listen to it yet, to, to do that on the podcast via the app or the website. Kathy and I were traveling the other day, and we listened to it. It's, it's a good message. But the reason I want you to listen to it is, is to hear what God would say to you through the scriptures and through what God was saying to us. Because as you do that, you catch what God's got for you, you can step into a revelation of what he's prepared for you in the season of new wine that we're in in the church. Today's message, I want to share something called new wine for everyone. New wine for everyone. I want everyone to be in a place of expectancy where they can receive what Jesus Christ has prepared. And it's not just a special few. It's, it's something that he's prepared for everybody as they would walk into a place of faith to receive that. You know, I do believe that God hears our hearts cry when we hunger for more of him, and he responds to that as a loving father. I do believe as we walk into a place of expecting new wine that we're going to see God's power flow through us as people's lives are changed and transformed. You could say amen to that. Come on, help me out today. I'm, I'm a bit low on energy. Give me some strength. Let's practice that, come on, because you suck. <laughs> Seriously, week after week, come on. Everybody say amen. One, two, three. Amen. There you go, you know to do it. Excellent, right. <laughs> you know what, I think when God releases his new wine, we're all going to be different. I really, really believe that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to prophesy it this morning, um, in a, in a way that I believe that God is releasing something in the spirit and I want your spirit to catch it. You know, there's a transaction that happens spirit to spirit here. When we come into agreement, when we, al- we align ourselves with what God is doing and our spirit says yes and amen to his spirit, then heaven starts to release those special things for us. That's not kooky or weird. It's what we see in the Bible and it's what we believe to be true. The problem is... Thank you for that, amen. The problem is... The risk is we can miss it. We can get to a place. We can get to a place where we miss the new wine that Jesus has got for us. There's a story in John chapter 2. You may or may not be familiar with it. Jesus and his friends and his mom, family, they go to a a wedding in a town called Cana. It's in John chapter 2 at the beginning there. John Writes the next day there was a wedding celebration in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out. Oh, my goodness, crisis! So this is a Jewish celebration. If you don't understand the culture, there'd be lots of festivities happening as this young couple committed themselves to each other before God in order that they would receive his blessing for their lives as they move forward. And, and the Jews, as a culture, they loved celebrating. There was food, food, and more food. And there was wine and more wine. And there was dancing and laughter. And, and everybody was having fun. And then the wine runs out. Let's only in verse three. <laughs> Jesus' mother told him, Son, they have no more wine. Jesus, like, dear woman, how respectful is that? Mum, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. But his mother, his mothers do, disregarded that, and said, Do whatever he tells you to do. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. These water jars hold approximately 120 liters of water. They're made out of stone. They're really heavy. 120 liters of water is 120 kilos before you weigh the jar. There's six of them. And Jesus says, fill the jars with water. And the jars are filled. He said, now dip some out of that water and take it to the master of ceremony. So the servants were like, "Well, well, we'll just do what he says master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then everyone had a lot to drink. and He brings out the less expensive wine when they're a little bit tipsy. Um, but you've kept the best until now. Let me say this. This is what I think Jesus is saying to us in this moment. You've kept the best till now. That's for us. This is the moment we're in. This is the, the season, the epoch season of, of the journey of our life as a family, is this theme of new wine that Jesus is trying to release into our lives. The best is yet to come. I'm just bringing it out, Jesus says, the very best that comes from heaven. What Jesus is doing in this season is far better than what he's done in a previous season. Not to discredit what people have done or people have walked through, but to say there's more with him. And we don't want to miss that. We don't want to get stuck in our paradigms and go, well, I'm comfortable. I just like it doing it this way. And I just want to stay in the same seat every week. And I want to sing the same songs. And Jesus says, the best is yet to come. I've got more for you. The new wine that comes out of heaven is something that's going to take you to a new place. But we can go, oh, no, I just have the old wine, thanks. Or actually just get me some of that water. Man, I hope my voice lasts. This excites me. Like, seriously, can you tell that? Are you getting that information non-verbally? Great. And I'm excited, but I want to make sure other people are excited. So this week, I took a different approach to preparing my message. I thought, well, it's all well and good for me just to stand here and tell you what I think. But what do other people think? And so I've got this new sort of collaborative approach that I have, and I'll be talking about that with you. And so I would go, and this week I interviewed people about new wine, and I typed out on my phone what they said, and I'm going to share that with you, because I wanted to hear from people in the congregation, what is the challenge like to walk into a place of receiving new wine? Because some of you are like looking like, oh no, it's going to be really interesting or bad or something, but I want to hear perspective from the congregation. So one person that I, se- I spoke to said this, and I'm going to quote what I wrote down. I have been intentionally sinking God's new wine. Awesome. It's hard work. It's been crushing. It's been tiring. But it has brought me fruit. The best fruit from this has been a relationship with God that is so personal. And sometimes happens in the middle of the night, which is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. God has visited me and pruned me, this person says. And this pursuit has come from a place of need. I recognized I was dry and I needed more of God and I wanted it so bad. That's awesome. There's someone saying that. They're going on the journey, understanding what God wants to do. And I said, well, what about those who don't realize that they're dry or thirsty? What about those that don't see the need that they have? And this person says, well, comfort will always rob you of intimacy with God. That's a good word right there. What I love about this, two things. One, the thought is that comfort robs us of intimacy with God. Sometimes we've got to be uncomfortable, and we're going to get uncomfortable today. I'm warning you now. But the second thing I like is this best fruit from this season is a relationship with God that's personal. That's the big upside. That's the bonus for you go on a journey where you get to experience and drink from the new wine that Jesus Christ is wanting to pour out into our lives. The best thing that will happen is don't get tipsy. You get a personal relationship with the creator of the universe who wants to spend time with you. That's a good deal right there. Amen you say. I just want to pause and and do an advert for tonight because Vanessa is speaking tonight, and I've, I've heard a snippet of what she's going to share, and it's going to rock your socks. So you want to be here at six o'clock for tonight. We're doing some worship, and then Vanessa's going to share a bit of her testimony, a story, and, and what, what God's been teaching her and her family. Very, very, very cool story with a great ending. So I want to invite you to be there, because together as a family, we want to walk into the new wine that Jesus Christ has prepared for us. Yes? Let's not miss it. The best is yet to come. Jesus is saying he's saved something for us. To recap, very quickly, the last message I shared with you was called, The Wine of Jesus Brings Joy. We spoke out of Matthew chapter 9 where um, John's disciples, I think it is, come to Jesus, oh, how come your guys don't fast like we have to and like the Pharisees do? And Jesus says, well, you know, when the bride is with the bridegroom, should, should they not celebrate? Why would they go hungry? And he's talking about this connection that he wants to have with us as his church, where he is the bridegroom and we are being prepared as his perfect bride, a place of joy that he has for us. The new wine of Jesus brings joy. So I want you to have an expectancy for joy in your life. Okay. (laughs) Convince me you want your life to be filled with joy. Come on, this is what Jesus has got for us. Joy overflowing and abounding that changes who we are. His joy is not just happiness from too much wine or because you got the best house in the street. Joy is what flows up out of the inside of you because you've been changed by Jesus. So look for joy if Jesus as your bridegroom. We also looked at this, um, and listen to the message, but, and, and we talked about, um, Jesus says, no one would sew a new patch onto an old garment, for it would tear and rip, and both would be wasted. What that means is, listen to the message, but it means don't just add Jesus to your life. You've got to become new and fully new, not just the, the new patch, old garment, and, and there's a whole lot of meaning in that in the message, but this part here I want to focus on with the wine. Jesus says in the same way, you don't take new wine and pour it into an old wineskin. For as the wine ferments, it would erupt and tear and burst the wineskin and both will be spilled and wasted. Fermentation is a violent process. A chemical reaction, I can't explain it because I'm not very clever, but I understand there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on and in this effervescent, violent fermentation process of the wine, there's something that expands inside the wineskin and, and, and the, new, the old wineskin can't contain it. And it bursts because it's dry and it's brittle. And we looked at this. But we also understand that transformation is on the Father's heart for our family. He doesn't want you to remain as a dry, brittle, old wineskin. He wants you to have a, a new way of living in order that you can contain what he's got for you. And that's the, that's the thing that we looked at. Jesus uses two different words in this verse, but he says you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. He uses the Greek word neos for new. And what we learned a couple of weeks ago is that means brand new, never been seen before. It's fresh. It's new wine. It's just being birthed, created. But when Jesus says no, you would put New wine into a new wineskin. He actually uses the Greek word kinos for new, which means renewed, made new, refreshed. And I explained to you that the way that that happens is they take olive oil and they massage it into the leather. It's usually goat leather. They massage it into the leather in order that the, the olive oil would make the leather supple and pliable and able to stretch with the violent fermentation. You remember that olive oil in the Bible is a symbol of the presence of God by his Holy Spirit. So the winemaker wants to come and massage you with the oil of the Holy Spirit to bring freshness into your life so that you can contain the new life that Jesus wants to pour. Because without that, without the Holy Spirit changing who you are and your paradigms and your mindset and your expectations, you're going to burst Jesus says, it just can't happen that way. I'm sorry, but I've got to change you on the inside for you to have the new life that I want you to have. And that was the message. It was really good.
1: You should listen to it.
0: Because Jesus wants to come and bring new wine, but before that can happen, before we can contain it, we've got to be renewed. New wine of Jesus brings joy. Today, I want to continue to talk about wine, and like I said, I'm not very clever, so I thought I'd bring in my friend Marty. Everyone say, Marty. Marty. This is Marty. He's from California, and I met him in 2012. He's a winemaker. I went to a conference, and one of my friends said, hey, you got to hang out with Marty. He's a really cool guy. I'm like, okay. I think I'm free, so I went around. And I had the afternoon with Marty in this warehouse, and he makes wine. Actually, he's a computer programmer. And when he started his business, there was no money in his business, so he would travel across the states doing contracts for computer programming and software design. And then he'd come home, and he would be very passionate about his wine. His stories he told me about wine, he's so passionate about how God uses just creation to bring about this freshness of of wine that, um, that he makes as a winemaker. One of the things I learned from Marty was, you know, when you read the, I don't know if you read the label on a wine bottle or a box, <laughs> it depends how you get your wine. <laughs> but, um, you know, you read it and it says, you know, it's got hints of blackcurrant and fresh aroma from elderflowers. You, you ever seen that on the, on the wine label? Come on, don't tell me you haven't read a wine label before. Well, what Marty says is the winemaker doesn't put that in the bottle. What happens is when the grapes or the vine is growing and the flowers come out before the grape and the fruit forms, there's black currant in the air. And there's pollen from other flowers. And there's different aromas that float in the air and the wind. And if it happens to land on the flowers, that flavor gets transferred into the grape. God does that. This is, a, this is the passion that Marty has about people understanding that God is into making things amazing for us. So I have this time with Marty, and it gets a bit weird because I get this idea in my head. I said, Marty, these are like your children, these, these casks of wine and the vats that he was um, talking about. And I said, I just get the feeling like we need to pray over your wine. And he goes, I'm up for that. You remember the story in Genesis 48 when Jacob gathers his sons together and he says, you know, my time is about come and I want to pray for each of you. And he he releases identity and destiny over the 12 tribes of Israel as he prays for them before he passed on. You remember that story at the end of Genesis? I said, same thing, let's do that. So we wander around the winery and we just lay hands on the wine. We say, God, you know what you dreamed of for this wine? And we can't make stuff happen, but we just pray that you do what you do. And that the flavors and the life that you wanted to release through this wine, that you would do that. We can't make that happen. It's time to count. Sounds weird, I know. But it was just a really powerful time when God's presence was very, very um, just tangible as we, the two of us, just came into agreement and prayed over this wine. You're looking at me like I'm a weirdo. I'm a weirdo. (laughs) I'm a Holy Spirit junkie, which makes me a weirdo. But here's why I tell you that story. At the risk of looking like a weirdo and sounding like a weirdo, I get that. But here's why I tell you that story. God is bringing his new wine into our family to release identity and destiny into your lives, that your lives would be changed for his kingdom. (laughs) Do not miss... What he's releasing for you and identity and destiny is he brings this new life into our family and our community. Because what I'm going to show you at the end is it's not all about you. Marty's going to tell us a story. I'm going to talk a bit quicker than I am <laughs> to have time for Marty to share a testimony that I was going to hopefully create hunger in you as it did in him. More about that at the end. Let's look at a guy in the Bible. I felt to look at someone called Peter. Peter was a man that we meet in the Gospels. He was a pretty ordinary guy, failed school. So went into his dad's business with his brothers, and every day they'd get up early and they would hop in the boat and go out on the Sea of Galilee, and they would cast their net in the water. It was a big round net with weights on the ends, and as it gathered in the water, it would hopefully catch fish. And they would sell that fish, and that's how they would pay for their rent or their food or their their um, holidays. But Peter was changed when he met Jesus. We're going to look at that in a minute. We can learn something from Peter. He lived with Jesus, he learned from Jesus, but he just started out normal like you and me. But the Peter that we read about in the New Testament, we're not even going to get past the Gospels today because of time. Maybe next week, depending on what we want to do, we might look at the book of Acts, or we might read the, the, the letter Peter wrote, the epistle at the end, where we hear about his suffering and the reason he went and chose to be crucified upside down, because he was sold out for Jesus Christ. and The message of love that comes from God in the form of a man for every person. I spoke to someone this week about new wine, and this is what they said. Because Peter was an ordinary guy trying to work for the money. And this person said, In the busyness of life and demands of society, I'm always struggling to have the personal energy to put aside time to be with the Lord. I work full time and I have disciplines to seek God, but this doesn't always work well because I've got a young family that creates demands. Work is stressful marriage and kids and finances all demand my attention as they should. And I'm like, well, what inspires you to seek the new wine of Jesus then? This person says, well, you've got to constantly put yourself in a place where you're refreshed with the Word of God, where you're challenged and inspired to be more like Jesus. Just like Peter, just like this person, we've got to put ourselves in a place of being uncomfortable in order that we would get close to Jesus and become more like him. And that sometimes means getting uncomfortable. Sometimes getting woken up in the night and praying because God asks you to. Sometimes it means going and talking to someone that you might not like to because Jesus asks you to. Sometimes it means making a sacrifice in your life, not because you want to, but because Jesus asks you to. Peter, dude made some sacrifices. I want to show you this morning that he has a new way of thinking, new patterns in his life. And as a result of that, he gets a new lifestyle. Why am I showing that? Because I want that for you. I want you to have new ways of thinking, new patterns, and a new lifestyle based on what Jesus has for us. I want you to see that Jesus calls Peter away from the boat twice. Let's look at Luke chapter 5. One day, Jesus was preaching on the shore. Are you okay? Luke chapter 5. Are you there? One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, just to let you know that's Peter, but he's not yet Peter, he's Simon. Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water, so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, now, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, that's code, that means when he realized it was a miracle, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, his brothers, were also amazed Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, he left everything and followed Jesus. Jesus calls Peter away from his boat, and Peter follows. A couple of observations I make from that. I encourage you to read that passage during the week and see what you see. Here's what I saw. Jesus will come and meet you where you're at. It's not about you just getting to church on the right Sunday to have a connection with him. Jesus is really, really keen to come and meet you where you're at. He goes to the business of Peter and his brothers, and he brings transformation. Jesus speaks to the crowd, and he brings this revelation of love through his preaching, because he preached about the kingdom of God. Also... Notice that um, Jesus brings blessing into their lives. The boats were full of fish to the verge of sinking. What do you think Peter's going to do with that? They're going to sell the fish to make the money because that's what a fisherman does. Jesus brings blessing into our world. You'll see on the screen there, Jesus requires humility. In verse 5, Peter says, Master, we worked hard all night. We didn't catch a thing. He's not complaining. He's not arguing with Jesus, going, oh, Jesus, you don't know because you're not a fisherman, you're a carpenter. Actually, we already tried this, and nights when you catch first not the daytime, and if we do this, it's not going to work. He's not, no, he's not arguing with Jesus. He's explaining, he's just making clear his situation in order to say how faithful he is to be obedient. That's what humility is. Humility is seeing our situation from God's perspective. That's what Peter's doing, and it's what Jesus requires us to do, to see our circumstances from God's perspective. Jesus gives us all an invitation, verse 10. He says, come on, don't be afraid. Come and live life with me. And in verse 11, this is the clincher. Jesus requires us to forsake everything. wonder what that means for you. I wonder what it means for you. If you actually take the time to stop and ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what did you mean when you said, leave everything and follow me? And actually listen like you want to hear the answer. I wonder what he'll say to you. I can't tell you. You've got to find that out for yourself. A couple of comments I captured this week in my conversations with people in our church family. I spoke to someone and they said, you know, the people you hang out with always determines the journey you go on. You won't fly like an eagle when you scratch around with turkeys. (laughs) Message of new wine brings hope and excitement that there is more. This person said, I have a renewed belief in all that God has for me. There's a hunger for what God's wanting to release in us. I talked to another person, and they said this. When you have been walking as a Christian for a long time, like 40 years, it's easy to get cynical and worn out. What I need is the fresh vision. I don't like just simple, easy answers or trite answers. In my work, I have to manage the tension between belief and faith and what I see in reality. I believe miracles are for every day, but I don't get to see them all the time. Peter said the same thing until he did what Jesus asked him to, and he cast the net out of his boat, and there was a miracle catch. Jesus wants to change our world. Like I said to you, Jesus called Peter out of the boat twice. Second time he did that, we read about it in Matthew chapter 14. You can turn there now. Jesus goes up on a mountain and he has a good time with a whole bunch of people and the people get hungry and Jesus says, hey, guys, friends, disciples, let's feed these guys. Remember that story? 5,000 men and their families were present that day. And a small boy donated his lunch and everyone had happy times, happy meals for all. And after that, Jesus says, right, now we're going to go. Let's hop in the boat. You hop in the boat and you go over to the other side and and I'm going to pray. Jesus insisted, in verse 22 of Matthew 14, Jesus insisted that his disciples get into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. probably getting them to fill out response cards or something. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, where you know Jesus liked to spend time with his father. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, Disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen up and they were fighting heavy waves. These guys are sailors and the waves are really big and they're struggling in the boat. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Well, That's weird. It's in the Bible, it must be true. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear I bet they regret saying this. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. And Jesus spoke to them at once. They'd be like, oh, eh? good, Like, Oh, whoops, didn't recognize you. Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. <laughs> Peter. Has spent all of his life in a boat, raised as a son of a fisherman. And he's going, I'll have a go at that. You've got to wonder whether he tried that before. You know, I don't know, like, you know, a little eight year old with his brother, come on, see if we can do this. Dad's like, oh, you boys are silly. Silly boys. Anyway, I don't know where he gets this idea. There's no evidence to tell us what makes him think he's going to walk on water. No one's ever done this before that we know of. They don't have movies, you know. They just have to make stuff up. Peter said, if it's really you, come to me walking on the, tell me to come to you, walk on the water. And Jesus goes, okay. Yes, come. That'd be like, psych. (laughs) No, I was tricking Jesus. Actually, I didn't really say that. I didn't mean it. Have you ever done that? Jesus goes, oh, all right. you oh, actually, I didn't mean that prayer. This is one of those moments. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Like, he's literally walking on water here, folks. Sometimes you just read this and go, oh, that's nice. Look, he's walking on the lake. <laughs> the closest I get to that is falling off my wakeboard. Peter walks on the water toward Jesus, but then he saw the strong wind and the waves. He was terrified, began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, Graham, you've got little faith. Boy, why did you doubt me? He climbed back in the boat. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God. See, Jesus calls Peter out the boat the second time. Here's a couple of things that I noticed in that passage that might be relevant for you to think about this week. Jesus will meet you where you're at. I said before, I feel like there's people here and crisis and chaos and a storm and confusion. There's stuff going on in your world. Guess what? Jesus meets you where you're at. He's willing to come into the storm and the chaos of your life and go, hey, I'm here. Do you know what he actually says? See, He says Jesus brings peace. It says in the notes, he says, the I am is here. Where did he get that from? Dad. Exodus 3, remember that? Moses says, who shall I say sent me? I am. It's God's name for himself. It just answers all questions. Jesus, in the same moment when Peter's freaking out, says, I am here. What that means is that God of the whole world came into his crisis and was willing to help him. Guess what God says to you? I am here. You should take courage from that. Whatever you're going through, I am is here. The God of the universe that creates everything, that knows everything, is before time and after time. The God that is everywhere at every moment, that hears every cry of your heart says, I am here. That should give you some hope. Come on. You're not alone. God is with you. And more than that, if that wasn't good enough, if that's not good enough, God then says to Peter, I'd like you to be involved in my supernatural life. It's not just there for comfort, which is nice. Please, Jesus, make me feel better. I'm just feeling so uncomfortable at the moment. Would you come I am here. Awesome. Now come and join my supernatural life. Oh, hang on. What do you mean by that? Get out of the boat. Walk towards me. It's much, much more than comfort. You don't have faith for Comfort. You have faith for your life to be changed, for you to do supernatural stuff like walk on water or see people healed. See people in your family find Jesus Christ and have their lives transformed. That's why the I am is with you. Man, I've preach quick because so I'm losing my voice. Jesus responds to humility. What does that mean in verse 30? When he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified, began to think, save me, Lord, Peter shouted. Humility is acknowledging that you need God's strength. And you can do that in any crisis, in any moment, and I am is here. Humility. Seeing your perspective as God sees it and then recognizing that you need his strength. That's all he needs is your humility. Final point on the screen there, Jesus is worthy of worship. They get in the boat and they just, they're, they're just just rocked. Like, Did you just see that? Peter went out, but Jesus, oh my goodness, what? And let's worship him. Why? Because he's God. What does he need you to do in your life? Worship him. Why? Because he's God. Don't treat him like a vending machine, an ATM, or a, a savior that gets us a car park in the rain. He's God. Let's worship him because he is God. And the way that he lives with us is, oh my goodness. It's changing our lives, guys. It's, 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 it's an invitation that our lives will be different. That's what I'm trying to convey to you, I suppose. Well, I'm going to ask you shortly if Jesus is calling you out of the boat. A couple of key points, because I like to make sure that there's a summary. New wine can only be contained in a new wineskin. Who's the wineskin? You are. How do you get changed into a new wineskin? You're renewed as you allow him, God, to massage you with his Holy Spirit in a way that brings new life. That's uncomfortable, sorry. But man, you don't want life any other way. Seriously. You're looking at a man who has been through the ringer many times, wrestling with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to do his work and not wanting to win. And may I always have that approach in my life, because he ain't finished yet. Thirdly, new wine is evidenced by our lifestyle. Does your lifestyle demonstrate Jesus Christ has brought new wine into your world? How will the world know us? By our fruit and what love looks like. Someone I spoke to this week said this. At one point, my quiet times were getting too much like a ritual, so I stopped. And my spiritual life got worse. What I realized was that patterns are better than nothing. So I'd appreciate having a midweek connection with people, and I'm going to go ahead and make sure that happened. Well, let me help you out with that. Here's an advert for School of the Spirit on Wednesday night. Why do we get together at School of the Spirit once a month to teach how to live in the power of the Spirit with the new wine as evidence of our fruitfulness, and to be activated, that our lives would be different as a result of that. Starting this Wednesday night, I'm going to have a really good rest before then, and my voice will be amazing, and we're going to teach what God's doing in our church and leading you on a journey into freedom, power, and purpose. And what God showed me, this is like a little teaser, it's actually not on the Facebook event, I can't remember. God showed us there's five stages we're going through as a church. If you've been here for this year, you'll know we went through a season of breakthrough. What did that look like breaking out? Secondly, we go into a place of encounter. Thirdly, we, we find ourselves in a place where we can develop our intimacy with God through personal connection. Fourthly, we then out of intimacy find fruitfulness, and out of fruitfulness, we find transformation. We're gonna work through that over three nights. What month are we in? So in June, July, and August, School of the Spirit, we're gonna do that. I invite you to come along, it's free more information on Facebook, check out our Facebook page and find that. Let me land this. I want to introduce you again to Marty, a friend of mine. Uh, I watched this interview online the other day, and it, it just spoke volumes to me. It's, it's six minutes long, so it's not short, but I want you to watch the whole thing. Just listen to what he says, and then afterwards, I just want to show you why I wanted you to see that, and then you get to choose how you respond. Because we want you to have a super boost in your life. We want you to have a life that has power. We want you to have a life that moves into a new level. This is not just me preaching my, my, my skin off, hoping that you get, you know, a little bit happy or, you know, like you enjoy Oh, that was good. Yeah, I really liked how he did that. That was amazing. You know, like I never saw that before. No, no I want your life different. That's why I preach like this because I absolutely passionately commit myself to your transformation, doing what God's asked me to do, but I need you to do what God asked you to do, that we together would be different. So listen to what Marty says, and, uh, and then I'll summarize and we'll finish. We've got volume, and play. Oh, no, this is user error. Okay.
1: Uh, my name is Marty Mosley. I'm the owner of Mosley Family Cellars. My wife and I own this winery together. I've been making wine since 2003, and we went commercial in 2011. We have this amazing story about something that God did in, in 2012. It was our second year in business. We were probably making, I don't know, 400 cases of wine a year. And we had two tons of Zinfandel in tanks fermenting. Which was about 20 percent of all the wines that we made, and after about seven or eight days into the fermentation process, every day you're mixing the wines up, you're smelling, you're you're taking the temperature, and after about seven or eight days, it started to have a little bit of an off aroma. It was almost like um, band aids or rubber bands, and they're called Mercaptans, and they're kind of a death sentence to wines. So if you get that that early, it's very, very difficult to stop that because any chemical that you add to the wine to stop those bacteria would also stop the yeast from growing, which would pretty much throw, you have to throw the wine out. But it's very difficult to restart at that point. So I was punching down that day. And I thought, oh, that, that doesn't smell right. I tasted a little bit. ugh. So I went home, and I was like, OK, what do I do? And thought about it all night, came in the next day. I punched it down even more vigorously. And it, it, and it didn't go away after the third day. I, just, I was thinking about it all night long. What do I do? I mean, because everything that I could think to do would have a bad side effect. And I came into the winery, and it was a little bit worse. And I was, I was just talking to God. I, th- I thought, I don't know what to do. And I just, I washed my hands. I stuck my hands in the tanks about this far down. I just stuck them in there and I just said, God, I believe that you know every molecule in these tanks. You know every compound. You know every bacteria. You know every chemical reaction that's taking place intimately well. And so I'm just asking you, in Jesus' name, to come and fix this wine. Because I'm out of my depth. I don't know what to do. I literally don't have any idea what to do for this wine and I was praying and I thought oh well I better do the next tank so I stuck my hand in the next tank because for us to throw that wine out at that point would have been a significant loss for us so I was had my hands in the second tank and God said that's really good Marty he said why don't you do this seven times over the next three days I was like That's really weird, okay. So I did, I stuck my hands in the tank again. So next day I came back in, I thought, okay. I did it three times. I'm gonna do it two times today and two times tomorrow. Stuck my hands in and that day, that second day, my face started to get really big. I I was praying and I thought, God, while you're fixing this wine, I'm just asking, That when people look at that wine and swirl that wine that they'll see colors from heaven I was just saying God that's weird because I don't know what those colors are but you do I don't know what they look like but I'm asking that you would reveal the colors of heaven but my faith was getting big and then I thought while you're at it God when people drink this wine would you heal hearts Would you heal marriages and relationships? Would you heal their minds? Would you heal their bodies? Would you heal their families? So I did that after the third day. I got done, I kind of washed my hands off and I thought, oh, I, I should taste it. And God said, no, really firmly. And I was like a little kid, I was like, oh, okay. And he said, Marty, he's such a gentle father. He said, Marty, didn't you just get through asking me over the last three days to heal this wine? And I was like, yeah, I did. He said, don't you trust me? And I said, no, Papa, you're good. I trust you with everything that I have. And Then I kept doing my punch downs. Two weeks later, we pressed the wine out of the skins and I said, I'm gonna taste it. And he goes, yeah, taste it. I tasted it and it was beautiful and there was a guy working there with me doing something on a machine. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. He's like, what? And I said, this wine is really good. And he was like, okay. And I said, I'm gonna name it Lazarus. And he was like, like the dead guy? (laughs) I was like, yes, God brought the wine back to life. And so now we have this wine, we named it Lazarus. It's a 2012 Zinfandel. And it's turned out to be this beautiful wine. Now people are buying that wine as a prophetic act. So my prayer is that the hope that God put in me through this process would put into people so that whatever is dead or dying or struggling, struggling for life, maybe it's dreams that have died. Or you just said, no, there's no place in my life for that. And that I'll come back to life.
0: He's a precious, precious man. The reason why I wanted you to watch that and listen to what he said is this. The new wine that Jesus Christ wants to pour into your life. He wants to do that so that others will see that life and receive the same. It's not about you having new wine just for your sake. You know, I love what he said there. He said, you know, like bold prayer, when people drink this wine that you will heal hearts. They'd heal marriages. Those things that have been dead would come to life again. But that's why our lives need to be renewed. That's why we need to receive new wine. That we'd be renewed by the Holy Spirit to contain the new life in order that our lives would demonstrate who God is to others. And that they would also receive the same healing on the inside, hope about the future, new direction connection with God and a personal relationship as we heard someone say why don't you stand we're going to get this song ready to play we're just going to do the audio of of a song by Red Rocks Worship called More and in this in this song there's a real hunger and a prayer for wanting more of Jesus and this morning I'm asking if you want to step out of the boat. And if you do, just make your way to the front, and we'll turn the music up, and you can just have time with Jesus. And as you do that, I really believe that He's going to pour out His new wine into your life. He's going to change the wineskin. He's going to bring paradigms of hope, healing. Why? Because he wants your life to be a testimony to other people's lives. We're on a journey, church, into a season of the new wine of God. And I invite you to experience it for yourself. Let's turn it up.